0: This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help.
1: He has time, launches it to the end
2: zone. Touchdown! Terrence Williams! It goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. Oh he plays. Oh, he's going red, 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 red. Puts he the water. Red Raider. Bluesy the 10. him
1: up the right sideline. he's gotta go. He's tackled, Sam Houston wins it. The Bearcats capture their third!
0: Hello and welcome to the Republic of Football. I am your host the college editor Ishmael Johnson college editor here college editor here at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Uh, is this our first episode since we sent the magazine to press? Yeah, it is. Yeah, right. um, everybody has like a nice post-magazine glow on their face, including our college ed- our college writer, senior college writer, Mike Craven in Austin. How are you doing, buddy?
1: Doing pretty good. Lost 15, 20 pounds since we sent that magazine off to press. So, so I'm feeling pretty pretty solid about it. Can't wait for everybody to read it and agree with everything that we put in it.
0: Oh, yeah. You've checked social media. We're recording this uh, on May 31st, if you check social media, you know that Craven is the king of everybody agreeing with what he says on social media right now. So uh, big fan,
1: big fan <laughs> of, of the social media right now.
2: But you can't see it unless they follow you, right?
1: That's exactly right. That's so exactly follow right. You. It is it is it. weird knowing that uh there are dozens and dozens of people calling me names right now, and I just don't even I'll know that it. it's happening. So
0: That happens when I, when I, uh, to our Facebook. I don't, I don't check my Facebook. So, like, I just like whatever I write or contribute to. And it's like, hey, what's going on? I was like, I don't, I don't know what you're saying. I'm never read the comments. (laughs) Don't look. Uh, that other lovely voice is everyone's favorite Mal Pow. Hello, Mallory.
2: Hello. I am doing well. Uh, this is our last week of baseball. And then we are, there you go. As far as Texan Live events, besides seven on seven, we're done for the year. So, Ooh. We are. We're kicking away. I'm there you home.
0: go. We're almost done with the two big hurdles for the spring, which yep. is baseball and softball for y'all, and of course the magazine for, for the entire office. So yeah, we're if you if we sound a little bit more relaxed slash anxious on Mallory's part, um, you know you, you know why. Um, so on today's show, we're going to talk a little bit about SEC scheduling because that's been a very hot debate going on uh, in college football right now, and also we're going to talk on uh, one of Craven's, in my opinion, one of Craven's better pieces um, that he's written for Texas football, um, a dive into the numbers on the racial imbalance of FBS coaching staffs, more particularly coordinators and trickling up to head coaches in the state of Texas. We'll dive a little bit into that. Um, Of course, go check out that article on texasfootball.com. We'll discuss some of the numbers, but obviously a lot of the the specificities and the quotes that he talked to of the coaches he talked to are in the piece. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit more like around the piece, I guess, to kind of, one, incentivize you to go look at it, um, but also kind of broaden the discussion of maybe some tangents that Craven really couldn't get into on the piece itself because he kind of wanted to keep it uh, understandably focused. um, And we'll just kind of go off of there. And then in the back half, we'll talk a little bit about some of our our sporting bucket lists. We got the College World Series coming up. Of course, a lot of people love to make the trek to Omaha. um, And so we're going to talk a little bit about what we maybe Events that we would maybe want to see, want to attend uh, at one point in our life, college football, pro, whatever, it doesn't matter to me, Uh, high school, uh, just in general. So, but first, let's do this. Craven, you've been keeping track of this SEC schedule debate going on um, because leave it to college football, leave it to the SEC to be discussing whether eight or nine is, is, is the number that people want. Um, of course, in college football, something as minuscule as a one literal game could set the world on fire. So Craven, can you explain, first of all, what this debate is over for everybody who does not know? And just kind of what are the two camps right now of the discussion?
1: Yeah, uh, the debate is about money uh, because it's always about money. And oh, yeah. you know, I, I think ESPN signed with the SEC most recently thinking while Texas and Oklahoma got there, they would go to nine games uh, because you don't bring Texas and Texas A&M back into the same conference and not guarantee that them play there every single uh, year. And I think the SEC maybe shrewdly was like, well, I don't know if the language is like that is in there. And if you want us to go from eight games to nine games, you're going to have to give us an incentive to do that because we can go play – you know, non-pay games, or we can go, you know, play the the school of the blind and get a win there, or we can, you know, play a regional rivalry, you know, that we want to do, you're going to have to pay us to do that. And there seems to be a stalemate there. And, you know, I think a lot of this is just crowing, right? A lot of this is just uh, the SEC trying to get a little bit more money. I'd imagine the mo- most likely thing that happens is they play eight games in 2024, and then kick the can down the road and get some, you know, an extra $50 million from ESPN to go nine games, in 2025 Uh, but it feels inevitable right like the big 10 is going to play nine games the ACC plays nine games or no I think the ACC plays eight games still but they only have 14 teams Uh, the big 12 plays nine games like SEC is going to nine games it's just a matter of when and uh, it feels ludicrous to me right that like Alabama Auburn would stay but Alabama LSU wouldn't you know like that's the biggest game in the conference every single year and we're going to get it twice in four years like the money is there uh, to do it and so you know for Texas for a m it feels because like what is a m if it stays at eight I guess what I'm saying if it stays at eight it'll be one permanent opponent and then seven rotating
0: mm-hmm. if it's
1: at nine it's three permanent opponents and six rotating you would still play all of those other teams twice every four years in either model uh but the thing is is for that secondary rival right mm-hmm. and so am's main rival in this scenario would be LSU well like I'm not 10. You know, like that that wasn't a real rivalry like they've right. created that like Arkansas is the bigger rivalry for Am uh Texas is the bigger rivalry for Am but if you're the SEC you didn't ba- pay for Oklahoma and Texas to not get Oklahoma and Texas every year so you, right. you can't you're not gonna get rid of the the Red River rivalry game and so the casualty there would be am Texas and to me that seems asinine like absolutely dumb to do it that way so it's just a matter of they'll they'll go eight games in 2024, but Texas and Texas A&M will absolutely play,
0: mm-hmm. and then
1: they'll move to nine games the next year without missing a beat, without even knowing that you missed any of those. What are about to be the the permanent three rivals, in my opinion?
0: Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, to me, like you don't, and even if like I feel like that's a death oh, death mill is the harder the hard a uh, very harsh phrase, but if you don't have them playing 24, that's a massive miss, right? That's going oh, the to be the highest rated. That's going to be the highest rated game potentially of the year. I'd imagine everybody's potential three locks, yeah, are
1: included in that eight game schedule year one. Sure. That way, when they go to nine in twenty twenty five, those three you've already played those three games in twenty twenty four. You're gonna play them in twenty. So it it, it eventually it becomes where twenty twenty four is the same. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just playing one less game, but it, the one less game won't be. Alabama versus LSU. That'll be on that 2024 schedule. Texas versus Texas A&M will be on that 2024 schedule. They'll just find a different way to do the rotation on the other schools afterwards.
0: Yep. And I think the other, I think Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated reported that the other, the issue is that I think the SEC is, trying, or I think ESPN is trying to work in that extra game on the current deal. And the other schools are like, no, 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 we're giving you another game. Give us more money. Right. Yeah. And so, and so I think let me see. He has a quote right here. Uh, without the incentive of additional revenue from the network, more than half of the league is in support of remaining at eight games in the first year that Texas and Oklahoma begin to play in 2024, which is what you which is what you said. Uh, the expectation is that ESPN in the midst of layoffs will not commit an additional revenue revenue for a ninth game, at least not right now. So that's gonna be an interesting. Standoff going forward because, yeah, I agree. Like, I feel like long term, they're gonna have to budge on that, right? And in order to budge, they're gonna have to give up more money on that. And sure, you could say ESPN has the layoffs, it's Disney, they're gonna find the money, right? that That's not they can use it, they can use the excuse for next year's like, oh, we're going through layoffs, we can't, you know, we can't make it work for this year. You can't use that in 2025, right? The mouse generates money like it's nothing every year. And especially when they're in negotiation potentially for other conferences and other deals, right? You see them throwing money out for, you know, potentially the Pac-12 and all this stuff. And it's like, all right, what's, you know, what's actually kind of going here? You know, they have the money. And yeah, I mean, I feel like the SEC is one of the only conferences that can actually like pull this kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> because like they're obviously have the exclusive partnership with the with ESPN, with the network, but it's also like they have these gigantic entities like texas and alabama and auburn that just like basically move the dial on anything in the in the sport and they have to again they're gonna have to budge eventually texas versus
1: texas a&m is worth 50 million dollars a year oh yeah you know what i mean so like that's what espn's eventually gonna have to say to themselves and i get the pr right i'm in this industry i understand you don't want it you don't want it to look like you're paying this conference an extra 50 million on top of the billion you're already giving them while you're getting rid of like low level 40,000 a year employees or whatever that they're doing mm-hmm. at ESPN. I, I get how that doesn't look great. Uh, but if you're, if the odd alternative is you're about to lose Alabama versus LSU and Texas versus Texas A&M on a year, those two games alone, I haven't even gone through the rest of them. Those two games alone right there right. are worth giving each school an extra $5 million. And so it'll happen. It's just yeah. a matter of, of when and how ESPN kind of like puts the press release out, uh, but it'll absolutely happen.
0: Yeah. Uh, Del- I think uh, Yahoo, Sam Cooper reported that if there is a vote held this week, because I believe they have their meetings this week, correct? Yeah, they're in uh, right now. uh A simple majority is all that's needed, um, which would be eight, six. Um, Oklahoma and Texas are there, but they're not voting yet. So because they're not official members. So um, obviously, it seems like the, the votes are not there yet. Um, going forward, we'll see. I mean, I, I would assume that presumably especially if ESPN pushes that number a little bit, um, you know, we'll see if that changes, but until that happens, I feel like it's going to stay at that simple majority in favor of keeping it at eight for now. Um, Cause it seems like they're staying pat.
1: And I think the sec has looked at the NFL as its model, obviously for all this stuff and mm-hmm. the NFL does better than anywhere else to, of staying in the new cycle for 12 months out of the year.
0: Sure. Sure.
1: And the sec has figured out a way to stay in the news cycle 12 months out of the year. And I wonder, I'm a very, y'all know me very well. I'm a very cynical person who always thinks people are up to something. Mm -hmm. I I wonder if like ESPN and SEC are having this debate publicly just to have it publicly. You know, if this is kind of figured out behind the scenes, whether it be this year or next year, whatever it is, and they're just creating some smoke to create some conversations in a time where we're usually not having them.
0: Right, yeah. ESPN's like, actually, yeah, we got some money stashed in the back. We're yeah. just gonna up yeah. the deal a little bit. We'll do it yeah. in
1: twenty twenty-five. Play eight games this year. Make sure all the permanent opponents are a part of that eight games, and we'll pay you next what, next off season when the stock prices go back up. <laughs> right. Yeah. When the When the Little Mermaid's not a conversation anymore, <laughs>
0: right, we'll, right. we'll slide you fifty million dollars, and we'll keep this thing moving or whatever. You know. That's a good point um yeah we'll see how that goes again we have the SEC meetings coming up this week so if anything we'll probably figure out if it'll be eight games and not eight games 24 then nine and 25 or whatever it is going forward so moving on to I I hinted at at the beginning uh Craven you had up a piece uh yesterday on the 30th um about about black coaches and I kind of want to go into a little bit of how that story came about um you you came in the office I believe last week we were putting the magazine kind of the final touches on and you kind of had this idea of after you visited Houston and rice and you realized that you had talked to the only two black coordinators in the state. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like for people who don't know
1: April, I basically just go around the state and visit every single school, you know, and and what I typically ask for, and I don't get this at every school. I'm sure you could guess which ones I don't, but I don't, I don't always get it, but I asked for the head coach, both coordinators and a player from each side of the ball that's a captain It doesn't even have to be the best player, but somebody who can talk for that a side leadership of the figure. Yeah. yeah, a leadership figure. So I just happenstance started in Houston because Houston had the earliest spring game. So it was like, well, they'll know the most about the program. Rice doesn't bring in a lot of transfers for obvious reasons, those two schools. And then I went to UTSA third. And it mm-hmm. was like those three schools felt like the most put together. UTSA didn't lose many people. Houston was having an early spring game. Rice, not a lot of transfers. Let's start there. And I asked for the head coach, both coordinators, two players. I go to Rice, talk to Coach Smith, go to, Houston, go to Houston, talk to Coach Belt. And then when I leave Houston, I don't talk to another Black person that's over 23 years. Old. I think Frank Harris is the next oldest Black person I talk to the rest of the time. And it just stuck out in my mind, right? Mm-hmm. As somebody who just like has eyes and notices things, it was like, yeah, this is weird. I'm I'm, all, I'm talking to mostly Black players and all white coaches. And so uh one of my last stops was in Waco and I was bored. There's not a lot to do in Waco. And so I got out my notepad and I went through it. All 13 FBS uh staffs and I did the 10 on-field assistants. So there's 130 in the state. And what was interesting to me was that if you add in other minorities, it's about 50-50 of on-field of the 130 on-field staff. It's like 55 55 black people and about 7 Uh, my other minorities, right? So it's a, it's about half at the P five level. It's over half of the on-field, uh, coaches are minorities. The problem becomes when you start looking at where those minorities coach, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: there's, like I said, I didn't see another coordinator and the only two I saw were defensive. Um, and then you you look obviously there's none of the head coach, uh, level Dave Aranda. Uh, is Hispanic. So that's a, a minority at the head coaching level, but I had some coaches and I just started kind of asking around about this. Cause I'm an interest and I'm white, right? Like I'm a white guy. So like, I, I just started asking people who know more than me, right? Like, Hey, what do you want? What do you think about this? What, am I, am I weird? What, what do you think about? And it was like, Hey, don't even just stop there. Go look at where we're coaching. Like what positions we're coaching. Mm-hmm. And that was the part that really made me want to write this article was mm-hmm. The argument back is, well, this is just an anomaly. Some years there's less, some years there's more. Uh, There's got to be guys waiting in the wings. But on the offensive side of the ball specifically, in this state, there are not. Because if the the quickest path to being a head coach is to be a quarterback coach uh, or an offensive coordinator, right? And the quickest path to be there is to be a quarterback coach or an offensive line coach. Well, there's not a single black offensive line coach in the state. Right. And there's not a single black quarterback coach in in the state. And so the two position coaches, the two position rooms that lead you to be at the next step of the rung of the ladder are not represented with people. And so the ponds are stocked in a way that that next crop of head coaches are never, they never look different. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that, that part is, is really what stood out to me. And when I started really kind of asking around to see what everybody else thought about that phenomenon.
0: Yeah. And this like, Because like, it it is a trickle up, right? You hire, like you mentioned, you hire the quarterback coach and then he becomes a coordinator and he becomes a head coach typically. Uh, Typically is how it goes. The, even when you expand out, right? We obviously focus on Texas because that's where we are and it is a good micro, it's a good, it's a, you can have a good summary of the country when you look at it, when you take a snapshot. 10% of 10 of
1: the schools in the FBS are basically in Texas.
0: Yes. And so you look at, so let's zoom out a little bit too. I can really only name one prominent black offensive coordinator, mm-hmm. and that's um, um, Josh Gaddis at at Michigan, right? Formerly, or no, so he's at Miami now. Sorry. Yeah. Um. He's at he's at Miami now. He was at Michigan formerly at Bama, I believe. Um. That's the only one, right? I can only in terms of like guys who are probably next up on the actually i think he's at i think he's at maryland right now um which is another thing he's had like four different offensive coordinator jobs in like four different years at four different power five schools but um he's the only one that's like maybe a step away from maybe getting a head coaching shot right Alex outside of him, atkins
1: maybe at four yeah, yeah
0: that, that's a good one that's a good one but like again we're naming like blessed two. right right, right. In the there whole are team.
1: only there are only two offensive coordinator quarterback coach that call plays that are are black in this country yes and that's brennan marion at unlv and iowa state offensive coordinator quarterback coach nate and i would butcher his last name and so uh there's not very many you know there's not many and the ones who do have that title a lot of times are in practice that they're coaching for coaches who call plays
0: yes exactly and i think that I think we've kind of seen it in the NFL right now with uh, the Eric Bieniemy whole yes. thing, right? Where you see this offensive coordinator who doesn't call, he, he calls plays, but people say Andy Reid game plans and all that. But then again, you've seen every other Andy Reid coordinator get picked up and plucked away. And and they're like, well, anybody who touches Patrick Mahomes should be a head coach, right. except yeah. him for some reason. Yeah, you're in Sean McVay's phone. You get to call plays. <laughs> yes, literally. The, the Cardinals, I remember when the Cardinals hired Cliff Kingsbury, there was a sentence in his press release that said, that he was close friends with Sean McVay. Like, mm-hmm. like literally like unnecessary, but they put it in anyway. Um, but there is a, and I, I'm you hinted on it a little bit in the piece where it says, you, you know, it's a proximity bias, right? You hire yeah, people well, yeah. who you're close to, who you know, if you grow up in a certain area, if you grow up around a certain staff, you hire guys who you worked with. Oh man, going back, you know, talk about any of the leech and how mummy guys, right? They all work together. They're going to hire each other. They're going to, as they go up, they're going to keep going. Oh, I remember this guy was a grad assistant when I was an OC. Let me go bring him along. Like you Kendall see, Briles to TCU. Kendall Bryles to TCU. Like you just see this happen. And the example, and I don't want to put them on blast, but one of the examples that I like to cite is I was trying to look at, um, after you put the piece out, I was like, well, who's, you know, because you mentioned Barrett Neely um, as a quarterback who's now a running backs coach, right? One of the best quarterbacks of the past generation, especially at the group of five level, or I guess FCS level at the time for Texas State. Um, now he's a running backs coach. He's seemingly kind of stuck there. He They had a chance to make him a quarterbacks or an OC. Obviously, Dana Dimmel's kind of the OC there. So he didn't, didn't, he just, he's staying with the running backs. Um, I was trying to think of another guy along those lines who would be in position. And the name I came to, couple years ago was Kenny Hill yeah I was like Kenny Hill was a decent quarterback at TCU um and he was a very young up-and-coming guy he joined the I think Gary Patterson's last staff as a GA became the quarterback's coach in 2021 his last year and you would thought oh man this guy's gonna be not necessarily on the rocket trajectory but like he's like not even 30 yet and he was already coaching you know quarterbacks at a power five level well of course Gary Patterson leaves and he becomes a, I believe he became a uh, quality assistant at Cal, and then he gets hired at UIW, and you're like, oh, okay, UIW, here's a FCS program, they land a former power five position coach, and he's coaching running backs, <laughs> right, and again, that's not to put Coach Killo on blast, like, you know, he hired, um, I forgot the guy's name, he was a assistant at USC. But he was somebody who he worked with before at USC, right? Yep. And so he had that connection. And it was somebody who you want somebody familiar with you that you're familiar with to handle the quote unquote leadership and the big responsibilities. And so you're more likely going to go get, oh, my buddy that I know, mm-hmm. as opposed to like, oh, let me just interview Joe Schmo for this position.
1: Yeah, And I, I tried to point out the piece, I don't think this is just outright racism. Right. You know, I, I don't think any of these coaches are like you're not in football at this level at this this time of the year, you know, this time of the world or whatever, if, you know, like you're I mean, maybe there's some, but like I don't think it's just like just avert race. I think it's mini me syndrome. Right. Like if we all look at our 10 closest friends, they probably look, sound, think and act a lot like we do, you know, yeah. whether that falls along racial or religious or gender or whatever, whatever it is. Like this is what we are like. And so uh, I don't think this is any different. Like I I think it's one of those things that it's a good old boy network who, you know, is more important than what you know. And if you're hiring a running back coach it's easier to hire outside of your tree of knowledge than if you're hiring your offensive coordinator or your defensive coordinator. And Mm -hmm. as one coach told me in the state, you'd be surprised at how many, or you'd be surprised at how few black guys, some of these white coaches know. And Mm -hmm. so uh, I think for a lot of it, it's just like increasing that tree, increasing that, um, network and, and and getting in front of athletic directors and getting more minorities into administration, not even on the coaching side, uh, just on the, the hiring side. Boosters play a big part of this. What are the majority of the boosters look like? You know, we all remember the Red McCombs quote about Charlie Strong. And, you know, Richard Johnson at SI did a great piece a few years ago about how black players for a long time and, and still today are moved away from the ball. If you're a black center, you put it guard, right? Mm-hmm. If you're a quarterback, well, we can play in the slot. Or if you're a middle linebacker, let's rush you off the edge or whatever. Because the idea is let your athleticism go be a playmaker, and we'll let the thinking positions be, you know, to, to the other players or whatever. And it mm-hmm. seems like that exact thing is happening uh, at the coaching ranks. It's like, don't eh, be a quarterback. Let, let's move you to running back. Because you mentioned Barrett Neely, but he's not the only one. Like Markel Blackwell, the yeah. running back coach at Texas A&M, was 30-12 and 12 at South Florida. You know, threw for like ten thousand yards, ran for another couple thousand. You know, accounted for seventy something touchdowns in his career. An excellent college quarterback. He's a running back coach. How many mm-hmm. excellent white quarterbacks you know
0: are running back coaches? Right. I I, I don't know any. You know, well, and I, I tried to I go find them. Like, yeah, if they're all if they were a wide receiver like eric morris wide receiver he coached wide receivers he became an oc right yeah. like that's but, you know or they became a head coach at uiw you know but it's like usually they stick to the they stick to their position yeah. if they played that they're going to coach that yeah and people mentioned holgerson to me as if holgerson wasn't a slot receiver
1: you know right. what i mean like i think we hey dana's uh evolved to the point where he just doesn't look like a former college football player so like yeah. people are like well dana never played wide receivers like what he was recruited by how mummy like how do you get yeah. started go read a book yeah. Uh, but like, so, I mean, I think Sonny Dykes is the outlier Sure. and Sonny Dykes has a last name that's really helped him yeah. in this industry. You know what I mean? And so like, if you don't have that last name and you don't have that playing career, and if you're black, even if you do have that playing career, uh, it is just an uphill battle that we all need to be made more aware of. And, you know, again, none of these, none of these coaches were me, talked to me and were like, yeah, the coaches are racist. Everybody in college football is a racist. Like this, you know, they're right. just like, look, look at the data. Like, just look at the numbers, then talk to me. What do you see in the numbers? What do you you think? What what could this be about? How can we fix this? And so to to me, the conversation is like, what do we do next?
0: Yeah. And I think
1: the next thing we do is just what the MCAA is doing, what the, the Minority Coaches Association is doing. And that's putting on these kind of mock trials in June where they find... Know five to ten of like a, that next crop of coaches. Like, hey, you're about to be a coordinator. We think you're about to go from coordinator to head coach. Marcus Freeman was a success story for this. Uh, mm-hmm. Gaddis was a success story for this. Belk was a, a, a success story for this. And what they do is they. Uh, get three or four athletic directors from the cost of, across the country that volunteer to kind of put on a mock interview. It was like, hey, here's the scenario, here's the college you're at, here's the background, here's whatever. Now interview Doug Belt for this job, mm-hmm. and so Doug Belt goes through the interview process through Zoom and stuff, and then afterwards they get together and they give him notes back. Hey, here's what we like. here's what you should talk about more, here's what to reference, here's what we want to hear, here blah blah blah. And not only does that give the coaches the experience of of being in these big time interviews, because how do you know it until you've done it? The other side, though, is like, what if one of these athletic directors who mock interviewed Doug Belk has an opening in a couple of years? Right. And it's like, man, you remember that interview? And that's how Marcus Freeman got the job at Notre Dame. And so it's just, it's just, it's expanding our network. It's opening our network outside of our norms and we Mm -hmm. all need to do this this is not a college football problem this is a human being problem like this is proven throughout different cultures different walks of life male and female old and young we have an unconscious bias that makes us want to surround ourselves with people who look think and act like us Mm -hmm. and it's natural if you're going to hire a head coach and give them two three million dollars and risk your job on it as an athletic director you're going to want to play golf with them You're going to go do whatever with you know or what you know and that that's stereotypical but that's honestly what's happening and so uh, I just think as the athletic directors kind of get more and more um, you know saturated with with different kinds of of candidates maybe they look and go okay we don't have to do it the same way we've always done it.
0: Yep. hundred percent. Um, yeah, you, you talked to, you had some quotes with Archie McDaniel, who is the president yeah. of the minority coaches advancement association. Um, some really good insight from him, like you mentioned with, uh, with, you know, the, the Marcus Freeman example and just kind of what they're doing there. And yeah, it's just about we're, we're entering the, this next year or two. I think we've kind of wiped the slate clean with like this, the past two years, I think we've wiped the slate clean with like perspective The people that we expected to be next up, right, Eric Morris, G.J. Kinney, uh, Joey McGuire, right, they're all, the slate is clean now, right, you're not dealing, if somebody asks you to make a hire now with like the top, there's no like, ooh, this guy is the next big thing, right, there's no, we're waiting for that class, We're we're in the perfect time. For, I'm going to throw some names out, for a Josh Price, for a Doug Belk, for these guys to come up and start raising their names. At, uh, I know he's not in the state anymore, but uh, Emmett Jones at, at Oklahoma now. We're about to see these guys now enter those conversations realistically as people worthy. And if you're talking behind the scenes Coaches love these guys. These guys, they think that they're next up and they're finally in a position to where they're now the senior coordinators, the senior position coaches that are going to be looking for those next steps. And we're going to be in a position to where if they, if for some reason they start to get missing out on jobs, it's starting to get a little bit more worrying. It's not just, oh, Joey McGuire had high school ties. He's a good recruiter, right? Uh, G.J. Kenny is a fast riser. It's starting to be like, okay, why are you passing these guys up now, right? And it starts to become more of a obvious question as opposed to a, you know, like something that you stumble upon, you know, just just happenstance. Um, One last thing I do want to hint on is it is a comfortability question in terms of proximity, but I do want to give one example that really bothered me personally was, this isn't in the state, this is nationally. Um, so obviously Deion Sanders is a big, uh, big subject of discussion, uh, has been since he came into coaching and his big thing when he went to Jackson state was, it was admirable, you know, however you believe it or not, but it was, it was admirable, the idea of building up an HBCU, you know, giving them resources giving them exposure, all this kind of thing. His, his mission was basically like, I'm here to help. Us, you know, I'm quoting, you know, uh, I'm saying, black people, the royal we. Um, I'm here to help us rise up and gain positions of power, things like that. Obviously, uh, when how he left for Colorado, you can debate it, whatever. I didn't think I didn't have a problem with it, but here's the issue: I didn't have a problem with. He partly, He said Jackson State and moving to Colorado was a way to leverage his position to then help collectively raise up black players, black coaches, things like that. Go look at his offensive coordinator hire at Jackson State. Go look at his offensive coordinator hire now at Colorado. Sean Lewis is not black, right? Brett Bartolone at J- Jackson State is not black, right? Granted, sure, he then recommended TC, I believe TC Jackson, TC John, I can't remember his name, but the new head coach is, is black at J- Jackson State. He was the wide receiver coach. But then he had a uh, coach who's the defensive coordinator at, at Colorado Charles Kelly. is not black. There, this isn't just a white coach thing right this is very much a deon sanders had a chance to make a black coordinator at a power five school a big time hire and he went and got sean lewis now sean lewis is a really good coach he happened to nab a, a, an established head coach right he left kent state to go be his oc but this isn't a this is an issue that when when you do get in a position of power and especially somebody like Dion who you know, very was prophetic about who he was uh, and, and claimed to be in terms of trying to uh, uh, build up. All of a sudden, he gets in that position and he reverts back to back to tradition, right? Um, one of my favorite examples will always be um, Muffet McGraw, formerly a Notre Dame women's basketball coach. She never hired a single male assistant, right? Because she knew in her position of power she's like, well, they they can get jobs, right? Mm-hmm. They don't need me to get a job. A lot of these women need me to get a job. And so now Notre Dame women's basketball has a black head coach because of hires that she made along the way to put them in position. So again, it's about being about it, right? Not saying you're about it. And I think the numbers show that we have a ways to go. Not too long ago, we were in a better position, right? Just in terms of representation, right? A&M, Texas, Texas State, UTSA, all have black head coaches. Now you can have varying debates on how big of a, of a of a leash they all had, respectively, when things started to go south. But not too long ago, a lot of these schools were willing to to put their biases aside and maybe you know go that way. We'll see where that goes in the future. Um, but I do think this piece was kind of timely because, like I mentioned, we're in a new era of like finding who's next, and um, I think they're they're it's starting to be in that spot where it's impossible to go through a head coaching search now and by now i mean like 24 2024 and onward without including a black a prominent black coach coach or coordinator or assistant um in those discussions so we'll see bottom why.
1: line bottom line we need more black quarterback coaches because 100 100%, that, 100%, that, yes. that next group of coaches are like garrett riley zach kitley you know those those kind of will stein true, true. those kinda, and those are all great coaches that i really sure. really enjoy right uh, but they were fast tracked through those. But they were given the ability to have those jobs, right? Yes. Like East Carolina for Garrett Riley, and that parlays to TCU, and now that goes to Clemson. Look at what Zach Kitley's this route has been. Um, it, it's tougher. It's a tougher route from wide receiver coach or running back coach. Not an impossible one, but a much tougher route that way.
0: Hundred percent. All righty. So before we get to our final topic, you got some news this week, Mallory. You love your dad.
2: I do.
0: Sometimes? I love love okay. very much. <laughs> uh, for those of you that don't know, Mallory's dad is, a, is the reason why she is a Michigan State fan, a proud Isn't Michigan State crazy
2: fan. Um,
0: Mallory, I have an idea for your dad or Father's Day.
2: Do you? What is the home idea? Home
0: Field Apparel. What do you yes. think about that? Yes. So,
2: 100%.
0: yes. So, Home Field, I'm here to announce that Republican Football Network is now an affiliate of Home Field Apparel. Home Field Apparel is the premium mm collegiate apparel brand based in Indianapolis. They're dedicated to creating incredibly comfortable licensed apparel with vintage design. You like the Sailor Bear Baylor logo, if you're a Baylor fan, Uh, congrats. They have a great logo, a great t-shirt with that logo on it. You like the old school owl for rice? Boom, they got those too. Uh, Homefield scours through the history of programs to highlight pieces of imagery, both new and traditional, to appropriately reflect the program, creating unique designs for each one. They're announcing new programs seemingly every week. They're revamping old designs, TCU. And I believe Tech had a new drop last month and they were already partnered with them. Um, I have plenty of home field gear. I have Texas, I have Notre Dame, I have Houston Christian. I can go on. Like my favorites, the Hawaii Rainbow Warrior. I think it's really sick. I just got a two-lane one too. Um, I'm a huge, I've been a huge fan. So I've been I've been very happy to get this affiliate uh partnership going. Um uh, Mallory, you can get your dad at a nice Michigan State. Uh, uh, shirt. All all their materials really nice. I like how they fit. Um, Very comfortable. So yeah, if you want something for the summer or want something for your dad, are you an A&M fan? You want to bug your dad and who's a Texas fan and get him an A&M shirt? Get him an A&M shirt. Or if your dad's a Texas fan, you want to get him something in Texas? Get him Texas. Use DCTF at homefieldapparel.com. Our promo code is DCTF. Save 15% off your first time purchase. Remember that is DCTF. Simple as that. You'll be seeing us plug that promo code everywhere. We got all summer to plug a lot of really cool things. Again, they're announcing schools seemingly periodically. As the season comes up, they'll probably be announcing more schools. Um, yeah, so please visit DCTF. There are plenty, plenty of Texas schools on there. Like I mentioned, Texas, AM, Baylor, TCU, Tech, SMU, all these. There's so many. Go check it out for yourself if you don't believe me. All the collections are great. Um, yeah, and I cannot wait to continue this partnership. This is really exciting. You'll be seeing a lot of the ROF networks plug their own, uh, their own codes. So go f- feel free to plug those and spread those wherever you want, man. This is, this is really cool. This is really exciting that we're getting to get to do this. So, and definitely. one of the
2: coolest things I think about home field is that their designs for every single school are so cool that you don't yeah. even have to be a fan of that school to right. get a t-shirt. Like we, I just got a TCU one. I'm not yeah. a huge TCU fan. I like I like the Horned Frogs, but I'm not right. a big TCU fan. But I'm on pumped about the shirt. Heck yeah, I'm pumped about the shirt. I can't wait to wear it once a week.
0: Yep, Georgia, Georgia has a golf shirt. Like it's a it's a it's a bowl oh, Yeah, and I was like, I want that. I, I love really want that. So, <laughs> I love that. I've
1: always I've always been drawn to the Minnesota line. There's just something about the Gopher that yeah. cracks me up. Like that's that's Go a good one. And then. Uh, in the state my favorite they released a couple is a tortilla toss shirt that's just absolutely excellent for texas tech so yeah if you like the whole retro kind of 70s 80s look that should have never gone away but like exists back you know like they are able to to put out the sailor bear it's perfect you know where it's just (laughs) like you know we need we need more of that Um, so yeah it's a great brand i feel like we've made it i feel like this is a very big very this is a big moment for the republic of football takeover tour yeah, yes. this was this is kind of what we're trying to do here. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I'm happy for for everybody involved in the network to to have their own code. And, you know, maybe we can make this like a competition, you yeah. know, we're like we we kind of put the fan bases up against each other and stuff to kind of create a little healthy capitalism.
0: I like I that. I like it. homefieldapparel.com promo code DCTF and you will uh, save 15 percent off your first time purchase. So uh, go shop on Homefield Apparel. All right. Let's get into our last discussion. Uh, Craven, you mentioned it in the Slack. You know, College World Series is coming up. Um, I believe uh, next Thursday, two Thursdays from now. I can't remember mm-hmm. when. I guess the Super Regionals are now. Uh, yeah. Or no, the Regionals are now. And then the Super yeah. Regionals are coming up. And then yeah, obviously so, mid June. Yeah. So you, you mentioned as kind of the kickoff for this discussion. So I want to kind of give you the floor. You know, College World Series, why is this? you know, going to Omaha, I guess, Charles Schwab Field, I guess is what it's called now. Um, you know, why has that been a bucket list uh, for you personally?
1: I grew up a baseball kid, which is amazing because I don't watch much baseball anymore. Uh, mm. But like baseball was my favorite sport. I, I grew up to I grew up going to Cliff Gustafson's camps at Texas where you stayed at the, the cotillion and you walked over to to the dish and you went to practice. And, and what I think is really cool about Omaha is it's not just a singular event against two teams that last for three hours, right? Like mm-hmm. you're there for a week. Uh, There's eight different schools there with eight different fan bases. There's always these Cinderella runs where a team you think is going to be there for just two games is now, you know, making their way through the bracket. There's upsets. There's a lot of good food. Everybody's there for baseball. It's not that expensive. Um, And it's just like a timely thing that happened, you know, because – we live in this like capitalistic world that like gets rid of any tradition that doesn't make a bunch of money, right? Like right. we can go make more money. Like I'm surprised Texas OU isn't at at t yet. You know what I mean? Um, like, dude, like- I was about to say, they've definitely been fighting people to get that. You know what I mean? Like, because that's just what we do. Like we just want, you know, how can we make more money? But Omaha feels like this old school- know, place to go watch baseball that's not necessarily just about the mighty dollars not like in New York City or in LA or Dallas or something like that so uh, it's like this way to go enjoy a sporting event the way somebody in 1967 enjoyed a sporting event there's less and less ways to do that that's why my other ones would be things like the Masters or the Rose Bowl or Army versus Navy like stuff that you know connects you to a past that just doesn't exist as much in our in our lexicon as it used to because we kind of
0: kill traditions uh you know for for extra paychecks. I think I think we had this discussion a little bit when the Super Bowl came around was like I couldn't go to the I could not go to the Super Bowl. Yeah, not because on my buzz list. So commercialized it's so like if my team made it to a super bowl the closest thing i would do is i would go to like i'm a titans fan i'd go to nashville to watch the super bowl right i wouldn't feel compelled to go to the super bowl Mm -hmm. um because it's so commercialized it's so it feels sterile i guess is the word to me like it doesn't feel lived in right and so it feels very like this isn't my crowd this isn't my scene something like omaha you're there with baseball fans, right? You're right. there with people who like, you know, they may, you may not like baseball or college baseball as much as them, but they, you know, those people are like, yes, I know so-and-so, you know, blah, blah, blah. You're going to talk baseball with them, right? Um, or you're just there with the casual fan who's like, man, we've been coming to Omaha so many years and blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. Like it's it's part of like, it's, it it feels, it is one of those like last bucket list uh, uh, traditions. And so that's why for me, the, Seeing a Big East tournament game in Madison Square Garden, that is one of my favorites because yeah. Madison Square Garden, as much as we love to give like Nick fans crap and all that stuff, it's like, oh, there's nobody, you know, when LeBron James nobody wants to play in the garden or whatever. There is something different about a really good game in the garden, right? It has that it has that arena light setting where everything is dark except the court, and you know you're in a spot where you know, I guess recent history, Kemba Walker hit his game winner for UConn and like where John Thompson coached and you, you realize you're really in like, I mean, the closest thing to basketball Mecca that we have and Mm -hmm. to see big East, specifically big East men's basketball is like, especially now that the big East is good again. Mm -hmm. I, I, there's nothing to me, there's nothing better. Cause like you mentioned, (laughs) it goes along the same lines where it's like, yeah, if, if this, if the big East was starting now, that'd be in like they try to put that in a damn football stadium and like, it wouldn't look great. It wouldn't look good. Right. Every final four is in a football stadium now. Um, and now it's like, no, no, this is a basketball game in a basketball arena where history's happened and it's prominence in the biggest city in the country. And it's just like, Here's just everybody watching this sport for a couple for for about an hour um, in this great environment. So yeah, that would be mine. Along the same lines of Omaha, where it's just like you take the commercialization out of it and you just go back to tradition and back to what you loved about the sport originally. With with
1: fanatics who are like minded in that same way. Like you're not at the yes. Big East basketball tournament unless you like love basketball. I was York about to say State, yeah, Big East yes. basketball. Exactly.
2: I'm gonna go a little bit more mainstream here and. Craven, I'm a little bit jealous that you've already done this, but I think mine would have to be, uh, seeing a college football national championship game Mm. because I grew up by college. Pick a different
1: one than I got to see.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I would prefer a closer (laughs) game, but if that's all I got, I'll take it. Um, growing up, I was, I've always been a college football fan. My dad's a huge college football fan. I think college football was probably my first love. So that's definitely got to be number one on my bucket list. I've seen a a college basketball national championship. Uh, That was back in 2014 when Kentucky and UConn played. Uh, Kentucky upset UConn. That was was at
0: AT AT&T, right? No, no, that was
2: UConn upset Kentucky. That's what it is. AT&T, yeah. Um, And the environment there was just insane. Now, I think that that was pretty cool because – yeah, it was at AT&T. It was such a huge arena, but mm-hmm. also college basketball is so much more intimate, I feel like, mm-hmm. than college football. Um, but just going back to the how college, ba- college football was my first love, I think I got to go college football national championship, wherever that may be. Whoever's playing in it, that's got to be my number one bucket list.
1: Oh, we, we can go. get that done this year, Mallory. It's in Houston. We can probably get your credential and everything.
2: Is it really? Oh, heck yeah. yeah. I'm down for oh, that. There you go. Whoever's playing done. in there, I'll I'll go.
1: <laughs> my my, I've been to two national championship games and they've both been bummers. The first one was the Colt McCoy getting injured against Alabama, Ooh, yeah. so ah, that kind of ruined yeah, that game. Even though it got kind of fun in the second half, but still that one. And I didn't even care who won, right? It's just like okay. I thought we were going to have a, a better, more classic game. And then yeah, sixty-five to seven uh, last year, where I don't remember the second half because I just wrote my stories. I was about you know? to say, yeah. All right. Yeah you know yeah. it was uh it was about i would say i think for any college football fan yeah the thing you got you got to go to the rose bowl
0: mm-hmm.
1: like you just not for a ucla yeah, game a you really- got to go to an actual rose bowl because the Ro- if, big
0: 10 versus versus the back 12 yes, yes.
1: Yeah. or if there's a semi-final there or sure. like yeah. you got to go to a big game between two teams like in an like it is it is football heaven, man. You like Mm -hmm. look around and there's mountains in the background and there's never any bad weather. It's 70 degrees. I mean, it's just, it is a, it's a place to watch a football game for sure.
2: Well, and that stadium is so popular too. It's so famous. I mean, and it doesn't have that big stadium feel like AT&T or SoFi. It's so original that that's gotta be one of the coolest places to watch a college football game.
1: I think (laughs) mine is army Navy.
2: Army Navy. That's a really good one.
1: Like I, I have to get to an army Navy game. Yes. Before my career is over. I don't know how it's going to happen, uh, but it, it needs to happen because that one just feels like, again, like what we're talking about, like as authentic as authentic can get, like it's not about money is that, like this is about what college, that that's as college as as close to my grandfather's college football as you can find. Right, right. right. Talent on the field and all that stuff, you know? What mean? six passes total. Right. And <laughs> yeah. so uh yeah, I mean I grew up in Liberty Hill, you know, I, I don't mind. I don't mind some 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 running the football and so it'll be right be right back at home for me, but yeah, I just I got to get to that.
0: Yeah. That's a good that's a really good one. Yeah, the Army Navy's up there for me. What about I will say to wrap this wrap this up in state? Is there a, we can be high school Co- college pro what is there an in-state you know football basketball whatever is there an in-state thing that you're just like i haven't done this obviously football for you craven is different because you've probably covered a lot of the traditional yeah. college football um yeah. but you know person. like is it does does seeing the split stadium at red river still never get old you know what what are some things where it's just like what's a bucket list for you as far as texas goes
1: yeah if i get to pick something i've already done um i would i mean texas versus oklahoma i I think is is something that even if you're an a&m fan you have to do like it's at it's at the state fair there's corn dogs around there's rides the split stadium where by the if unless it's a really close game by the end of the fourth quarter one half is completely empty and it just looks wild to look to the left and see all the burnt orange there. And then look to the right. And there's like, not, you wouldn't even think there was a football game happening on the other side because they empty out to go get beer and all that kind of stuff. Like it is just a spectacle of its own. That's really good. And then the other one for me uh, is, is going to see a a night game at Kyle field. Yeah. That's a good one. Especially as a press member, because the press box sways, like when, when all they start doing their whole, like they lock arms and start doing the Aggie or whatever, like, the press box starts moving left and right. Like, it is just – it's different. It's just a different place to go watch a football game. The, the, for me, if we're just sticking with football, those are the two, two coolest experiences I've ever had in college football. is night home games at Kyle Field, and then I and I could go watch, you know, the, the Red River game every single year. I think I'm going to let Carter do it this year. Yeah. Uh, but I, 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 could, I could go do that every year and be happy.
0: That's a good one. I think for me – and I'm curious to see if we get that feeling this year. It's got to be – A night game in Lubbock, but tech has to be tech. You know, like we've had solid games, you know, it's kind of like, oh, it's been okay here and there. This year, I'm wondering if we get the return of night game in Lubbock because during the Leech era, that was the place to be, right? They're wearing black. It's a blackout. Obviously, you think about Texas, Texas tech, but I'm talking about like in general, going to Lubbock. In the mid two thousand, mid to late two thousands used to suck, <laughs> and <laughs> I want, I want, I want that right. I want to be there, just like seeing everything, just like yeah, Tech's Like they don't have to be ranked high, just like twentieth, right, something. As long as Tech has something to play for, and they're getting Oklahoma or whoever in Lubbock, I'm there. I'm there anytime. Week, it, it's gonna happen week two, guys. I was about to say they get Oregon. Oregon
1: gets and goes to to off with. People.
0: Is that a nightcap?
1: Kickoff was announced today. It's at six PM on Big Fox on on the main on the main Fox on the main Fox. So,
0: money. Um,
1: I've already spent. I've already spent more money than I'd like the McLeans to know on a hotel. um, There and love it because there's (laughs) not very many. Like I'm not even staying at a Marriott. Y'all know me. I'm Mr. Marriott. Like I I don't stay anywhere else. I'm staying at like a La Quinta Inn because it was $250 just to stay at the La Quinta Inn for two nights. Like, like it's insane. Like the cheapest Marriott is like 600 bucks right now. Uh, It is going to be sold out. It is going to be crazy. Both teams are going to be ranked. And I would imagine big Fox, whatever countdown is there. And Mm -hmm. the only other big game in the country that year, that day is Texas at Alabama. Um, So um, it's going to be big time and it's going to be fun because you're right ish like jones at night is a uh, is a place i was there for the crabtree game and yeah. i still think it was a, a top two or three environment i've ever been in in my life
0: yep so uh, here's to
1: hoping that we get that feeling again very soon because
0: yeah that's very different
1: my yeah. schedule for 2024 or 2023 by the way yeah awesome <laughs> just it's absolutely going to be, awesome i'm just gonna going to to read.
2: exhausted but it's out going to be of, fun.
1: out of excitement i just want y'all to hear my first my first four weeks go for it colorado at tcu Deion okay. sanders yes. in fort worth all that kind of stuff oregon at tech we just we just talked about that yep uh, tcu at houston first ever big Ooh. 12 game okay. uh, for the cougars sunny dykes dana Holkerson is about as thick as thieves can get that's mm-hmm. going to be a really cool one texas at baylor last time texas Ooh-hoo. is going to be in waco Uh, for a really long time and then I'll I'll, I'll go to week six week five we got Jacksonville Jackson State uh, or Jacksonville State at Sam Houston uh, for the first ever FBS FBS. conference game for the Bearcats in the gravy bowl and then week six my friends Alabama Texas A&M in Kyle Field I'd imagine at night Um, I appreciate y'all for hiring me to let me do this job it's pretty cool
2: (laughs) get paid for all that that's
1: By the way it's really weird. Coach Rich Rodriguez
0: of Jacksonville State, which yeah. I just now remember. Yeah. So Rich
1: that's- Rod versus Keeler. You know, what
0: else can you <laughs> what else can you ask for, man? That's pretty sick. <laughs> nice. All righty. On that note, let's end it on a positive note. We'll end it there. Uh, of course, we've interviewed 12 of the 13 FPS head coaches, Jimbo Fisher. Give us a call. As usual, go rutgers. And also, I'm gonna finish on this note: home promo code DCTF. Go get you some merch.